This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, my name is Gracia Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale. And today on the podcast, we have Martin Liefeld, who at this point in time is really focusing on fundraising and leaderships in the nonprofit industry and really giving back. Martin, how are you doing? Oh, great, Gracia. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's just dive right in. Sure, um, let's go. So how long have you been in fundraising leadership specifically in nonprofit? Sure. Uh, well, leadership, 40 plus years, that, that's yeah. a scary number, <laughs> but uh, 25 years in, in focusing on fundraising in particular, where I've been head re- senior responsibility for fundraising for uh, organizations, two of which were universities, uh, one smaller, one larger, one mm-hmm. um, faith-based, one uh, public urban, mm-hmm. and then uh for an, another nonprofit uh, outside of education. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, and fundraising has been fun. We'll talk about this. I, I love the field of fundraising. I love to discuss it because uh, it does so much for the, the community and the world. Yeah. And I'm interested in learning more about fundraising specifically at universities. I think that's very different as opposed to more charity-based nonprofits. What do you think the difference is there in that kind of ask? Well, I would think scale is part of it mm. because universities tend to be larger. They're, they're mm. able to uh, have more people involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So you can reach more donors and prospective donors than a yeah. smaller organization. However, having said that, Krisha, I think that uh, it's, it's all the same steps. Mm. It, it's the same steps. And a smaller nonprofit needs to be as strategic as possible about how uh, the time of those involved in fundraising, how they use their time so that they can maximize it. I think I would guess you would agree and, and the audience would agree. Time is the most precious commodity we have. Right. Uh, our, our time, our energy. And so whether it's a smaller or larger nonprofit, those who have the responsibility for fundraising or for the organization itself has to th- have to think about, well, to take on this, that, or the other thing, let's say an event for an organization. Um, I, I, I'm consulting with one organization and, and um, they, they wanted to do a uh, golf tournament kind of really quickly. Mm. Well, they're a very small staff. Mm. Well, I, it was underappreciated that it was going to, be a major preoccupation for this staff to pull off this golf tournament and in a short period of time. So they weren't doing other things to build the organization and to raise funds. And, you know, the golf tournament for their organization might net out 20 grand. Well, to be honest, one relationship can give you 20 grand or more if you're working on a relationship. So weighing time, I think is a, I'm off to an aside here of talking about time. What are we doing here? But, you know, weighing the importance of time and being thoughtful and strategic about the time, your time and the time of those around you uh, is perhaps the, the common denominator, mm. uh, uh, certainly across um, the nonprofit world and fundraising. 
Yeah. So I want to focus in a little bit more on this idea of fundraising. Um, what I love most when we were introduced is your ability to ask for these kind of donations and gifts, even when the circumstances weren't as favorable. <laughs> yeah. To get my gift. Oh, yeah. Um, so what do you think the most uncomfortable part of fundraising is, especially for nonprofits and organizations that have a much smaller staff um, who might not have that kind of expertise? So expertise is an interesting comment uh, mm. or word because you, you develop a competence by two ways, I think. One is mm. learning. You want to become familiar with fundraising, understand this, this whole uh, world. And then secondly, you know, you develop competence by uh, experience. Mm. So you take your knowledge, you put it to work, you engage with people, and you learn as, a pro as the process. We have to be humble and teachable as fundraisers. Let's start there. If we can be that, we're well on our way to being successful, but we also, we also have to be serious. We have to think mm -hmm. about our craft in a way that, well, I want to become really knowledgeable and good at this craft uh, to represent myself and my organization with excellence and to accomplish as much good as I can you know, with my time and energy. But having said that, when I think about, well, what's most uncomfortable, let's use the word feelings. I, I think about all the times I've engaged in, um, you know, conversations like this, but, you know, around, around building a relationship with a donor asking for money. I, I mean, I've got feelings and, you know, nervous energy, uh, uncertainty, because I may be unfamiliar or less familiar with a person or pre people across from me. Um, I, if I'm going to be asking for money and this particular visit, I have to wrestle with the fear, with fear, fear of no's. Suppose they say no to me. Suppose uh, I'm embarrassed. Suppose they say no and they're angry with me. There's just, it's these feelings. We're all feeling people. And these feelings we carry with us. And so, you know, when we talk about emotional intelligence, that whole topic, we need to be thinking about how am I feeling? How am I feeling today? How am I feeling when I think about this upcoming conversation or visit I'm going to have and what to do about those feelings? But there's another part of feelings that we tend to underestimate or not consider, and that is the feelings of the prospective donors. Mm -hmm. So when they, you know, over the years when, when they agreed to see me, they're wondering, well, what the heck does he want now? <laughs> is Martin coming to have a pleasant conversation? Is he yeah. taking me out for lunch because he likes me or <laughs> he's got something in mind? Right. Uh, what, what's he going to ask? How much is it going to be if he's asking for money? Uh, he doesn't appreciate what we're going through right now or the financial commitments we've made to other charities. Is he going to be disappointed? Well, we like Martin. We care about Martin. We don't want to offend Martin. Uh, we like that organization he represents, but so donors have all these feelings too. Mm. And so it's not unusual to enter into a conversation like the one we're having and, and to have these feelings going on within ourselves and feelings going on within the donors. Mm -hmm. So this creates, can create discomfort. I like that word that you use, discomfort, which I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, on both ends of the asking feel. Do you think it's a good idea to embrace that discomfortability 
And what three tips would you have if that's the case? So we have to acknowledge it. So that gets back to the emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. How am I feeling? Well, I feel this, that, or the the other way, you know, being honest with ourselves. So that's Mm -hmm. important. So when I think, okay, three tips, preparation. Mm -hmm. We need to prepare. Well, who are these people we're going to see? Uh, you know, what do we know about them? Have I met with them before? What did they talk about last time? Uh, preparing, thinking through, well, during this visit we're going to have, this is what I hope to accomplish. During this visit that I'm going to have, this is how I want the, the meeting to proceed. This is how I want to guide it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to that point, and I know you'll have information uh, for the listeners, but at martinleifel.com, they can go to uh, the free downloads in the mm-hmm. menu, and I have uh, what, what's called a call preparation worksheet. Mm-hmm. And this takes you through, to, has taken me through, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of donor calls over the years. A kind of a thoughtful step-by-step way of th- organizing my thoughts, organizing what I want to hope to accomplish in a call. So preparation is a big deal. Second, uh, rehearse. I know this sounds silly, but we need to practice. We need to rehearse. When I first uh, began doing this kind of face-to-face interaction and not just, you know, more distant through mail or that kind of thing, but more face-to-face, I was working in Southern Illinois, uh, kind of the 28 contiguous southernmost counties, largely rural. And I would, to go see a prospective donor, I might be in my car for 75 minutes to two hours. And I would, I would say out loud, and I'd say out loud repeatedly, if I was going to go on a solicitation, the exact sentence that I was going to use to ask for money, something mm-hmm. like this. Uh, Carisha, you have been such a loyal member of our organization. And you appreciate, I know, how important it is that we provide scholarships for these young people, just like you appreciated the scholarships you received when you were getting your education. Would you consider a gift of $25,000? Carisha, you could pay that up to uh, three to five years if need be, mm-hmm. but so many students would be helped. Okay, so that, that, that's maybe two sentences or three sentences. I would memorize it. I would say it over and over and over again, because once I got into the office, there may be Mm. interruptions. If I went into the home, there may be a a dog barking. Mm. Uh, There may be somebody knocking on the door or the phone ringing right as I'm about to, you know, say what's next. I may get in the call and feel particularly nervous. I may see them as I begin, lean back, fold their arms, purse Mm. their lips, you know, watch their, their, their brow and all things that if I wasn't prepared could be enough to keep me from asking what I, what the very reason for which I drove an hour or two hours. Mm -hmm. So I know that sounds simple and maybe overly simplistic, but it worked for me. Yeah. Another dimension of this is this became a practice of mine over the years. And I would uh, talk with one of my staff beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, I'm going, I'm going to see Carisha. Mm-hmm. And here's what I was thinking I would try and accomplish on this visit. 
Or I might say, I'm going to see Carisha. She actually took the meeting with me. I don't know what the heck to do. Help me here. <laughs> and so I would get guidance or, or, you know, just positive support, affirmation. Martin, that sounds really good, which would encourage me. I would go and I'd have the, the engagement. Mm -hmm. And I would come back and I would call in that staff member, maybe a fundraiser on the fundraising team. And I'd say, let me tell you how it went. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if it, if it didn't go well, I'd be honest about it. I'd say I was so preoccupied with what I was going to say next and getting through my agenda. I think I missed a terrific signal. This is mm -hmm. what they said. Mm -hmm. Oh, if only I would have. And I would you know, I confess my sin, right? <laughs> I would I would do that, and I would I would be that transparent for a couple of reasons. One is to say it out loud for myself, to objectify mm -hmm. it. So I could realize I don't have to do that next time. Mm -hmm. I was prepared enough. I didn't have to be into my, what am I going to say next? I could have been more present because mm -hmm. I was prepared. And then secondly, by engaging with one of the folks around me, mm -hmm. they perhaps learned from my, my success as well as my mistakes. So, you know, in terms of the teaching of the profession, great stories, interesting stories, helpful stories that could come in from a variety of points of view uh, from others, from colleagues, perhaps, uh, I think really makes a difference. But rehearsing, that's a long, I, I got pretty far away from rehearsing, preparation, <laughs> rehearsing. Well, the third tip, Carisha, would, we should think about how we can use discomfort on the call to help us. Hmm. So... Uh, we know it's going to be there more right. like not as and so especially if we're going to ask for money so what i would do uh on a call is i would begin the call with establishing rapport and then i would state my purposes for the call well Krisha, i'm coming today to explore with you an additional way you can uh, help us provide volunteer leadership and help us to accomplish something new that i don't think you know about uh, mm -hmm. Also, Carisha, I wanted to get your, your thoughts about this particular area at, at our organization that, that we need advice on. It's causing us trouble. And thirdly, I do want to talk about your philanthropic support. And then I would begin with the first. Mm -hmm. So what would happen here is the, um, the, the prospective donor is sitting there thinking, Martin's going to be talking with me about money. <laughs> and so as we would go through the other areas by the time we would get to the topic about support mm -hmm. you think you think they were paying attention i mean they were paying attention yeah which is exactly what i want i don't i want mm -hmm. them to be listening to exactly what i'm going to ask for why it's important and how we'd like them you know to support us if possible yeah. So, and by, by understanding that when I saw them lean back a little bit, cross their arms or furrow their brows or whatever, it's like, Oh, here they're, they're with me. Yeah. They're paying attention. Yeah. Now they, they may be feeling discomfort, right. they may be feeling uncomfortable, but that's okay because mm. they are, they are locked in. I have their full attention. So it's almost taking discomfort, my discomfort and turning it on its head mm. and thinking about, and turning their discomfort, if you will, on, on its head in terms of using discomfort, that it doesn't have to be this negative experience. Mm. It can be a, ch a channel or an, in an instrument to helping yeah. us 
communicate effectively. Yeah, that's a really good strategy of priming potential donors into essentially giving money, which is often the thing that a lot of philanthropic development coordinators kind of run away from, trying not to bring up money on the first step and really saving it for the last, which is, like you said, really turning the idea on its head. I'd also like to talk about, so it seems like you have a lot of experience in fundraising. Where do you think the importance of leadership and fundraising collide? What do you think makes a good leader in fundraising? Well, I think it begins with being a great listener. Mm-hmm. So I think leadership, uh, leaders have to be great listeners because whether, whether it's on one of your staff Mm-hmm. a volunteer or a prospective donor, we have to be great listeners. By listening, we come to understand, we gain insight, we grow in our appreciation for the, those with whom we are in, engaging, and we can be more helpful in how we lead. So that would be one thing. The second thing is, I've had a great career for which I'm so grateful and one of the thing, another thing that's been really helpful is trust. Mm-hmm. I, I trust those with whom I'm engaging, and I trust those who worked with me as my colleagues. And uh, that's what, you know, when I think about, you know, during the course of my 25 years of fundraising, we raised as teams over $500 million. Uh, you know, it's a pretty substantial number. And uh, I think the credit goes to my colleagues but what credit I might take is trusting them to help get that done. Mm-hmm. So I think listening, I think trust are two fundamentals. Thirdly, taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. So if something happens among my, uh, would happen among my team, I would go to my superior in my last job, the chancellor of a major university. Mm-hmm. And I would, and I would say, chancellor George was his name, chancellor George, I need to tell you something. And I would tell him what happened. I wouldn't assign names uh, typically to it. And if I could, I would say, this is what uh, I would propose that we do about it. But I would tell him, I would want him to be first to know. And I remember one time, it was kind of a large mistake made by someone. And, mm-hmm. and I said, I'm responsible, Chancellor George. I'm so sorry. He said, Martin, Martin, you're not responsible. <laughs> it was so-and-so. I said, mm-hmm. I, I said no. I'm responsible. It begins with me. So when my staff over the course of time came to understand that I owned, I owned it, I didn't reveal, I didn't blame, I didn't try and pass responsibility onto others, that was very powerful. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful because they appreciated it. Just like, of course, I appreciated it over the years when I saw good leadership that helped cover up some of my mistakes, frankly. <laughs> Going back to leadership and fundraising, how would you prime your staff into taking on a new strategy, especially thinking about keeping it time cost effective, one, and also two, going from smaller donations to larger gifts? So I would, uh, I would want to, before I'd have any conversation with, with my team, I would want to understand what the challenge is as best as I could or the, oppor- or the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I, just as you suggested in your question, embedded in your question is I needed to think about 
all right, given these circumstances, how can we go forward in a way that's going to do the most good? Now, it might be damage control, or it might be, you know, going out zealously and asking for money mm. and, and think through as much as I'm able, because, you know, I, I, I'm just one person. But think through, you know, some of the ramifications. And then I would meet with the, the, the team members that would be involved. And I'd say, you know, here's, here's the situation. Here's the opportunity. And I would pose the question that you posed to me. I would pose it to them. Yeah. The same question I had been delivering on it. You know, I've been thinking about some stuff here, but I want to get what, what you think about it. Mm. And I ask them a question or two or three or four mm -hmm. and, and have a conversation. So what that would do for me is it might change the way I view something entirely. Mm -hmm. It might ratify it and confirm that this is the way I should be thinking and how we should go forward. Mm -hmm. They may bring insights or additional perspectives, nuances, if you will, mm -hmm. that would in effect, change how we're going to do something. It's all about subtleties sometimes, if you know what I mean, Carisha. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would go forward. So as leaders, when we can involve our folks in kind of wrestling with some of the issues, mm. including opportunities, much rather wrestle with an opportunity than a problem, but uh, there's, there's greater ownership for, yeah. for how to go forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I'm also interested in thinking about donations in general in terms of digital fundraising. Here at Hoel, we do a lot of digital fundraising. And I'm wondering, do you think the same rules would apply um, when asking for donations online, like on Facebook or even Google search, as opposed to taking these trips to go meet these donors? What do you think the differences are and what tips would you give on digital fundraising instead, if you have any? perspective I, I think fundamentally they're mm -hmm. they're very they're very closely correlated mm -hmm. so when you think about preparing to go and engage with a donor mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not going to 10,000 donors you're going to one donor mm -hmm. or, or, or a couple or you yeah. know a, a team from a, a corporation you might be meeting with. and we think about well given who they are given what they represent Mm -hmm. how, how is the best way for me to frame mm -hmm. this, this interaction? Now, when we talk about digital fundraising, I mean, of course, we can be just projecting it to the masses. Yeah. But if we're, if, if we're trying to communicate with an audience we know something about, mm -hmm. we want to be mindful of what we know about them. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the more we can get closer to what they care about, the better. So, you know, working for a university, we were doing, let's just say, a, um, uh, an, an email solicitation uh, across the university. Well, if someone was a graduate of the business school, they would get a slightly different letter mm. than, uh, or email letter, I should say, than someone who was from the College of Fine Arts. Mm. Uh, we, would, we wouldn't reference the College of Fine Arts right. with the communication going to the business school mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. And rather than having a paragraph that would include an update or an exciting story or a challenge in the business school over in the College of Fine Arts, and, uh, Fine Arts we would have something equivalent there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, a simple, simplified way to say it. Now, I think 
in the future is bright in terms of our developing the capabilities as nonprofits to get ever and ever more uh, uh, closely aligned with what people care about. Mm. You know, AI, big data, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of organizations are light years ahead of us as nonprofits, mm. uh, you know, on the for-profit side. <clears throat> but nevertheless, both those skill sets and those resources uh, will over time become more common, more, mm. affor more affordable, mm. so that we can be, you know, the more intimate and res So this is about respect. Mm -hmm. All right, this is about respect. We, we want to know more about the donors so that we can be more respectful. Case in point, I would go and see someone and maybe during the course of the conversation, they would express they're really excited because their daughter's going to be married in six months. Mm. Eight months later, I, I'm back in their community and I go to see them. The first thing I ask besides how are you doing, the next thing I would ask is, so how did it go with the wedding? How did it go with <laughs> Mary and your daughter? Did everything, yeah. was there, did everything go well? And they'd be often talking about it. So this idea, mm. this idea of over time getting to know people in their lives, how do we translate that mm -hmm. to the di digital world, mm. right? How do we translate that? I don't have the answers, mm. but I think that's certainly a challenge for us in order to, again, it's about respect. Mm. The more we know about somebody, the more uh, respectful we want to be by speaking to what we know about them. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's a great place to stop as we transition into our rapid fire round. <laughs> rapid fire round? Yeah, this is probably my favorite part of all the episodes. Um, <laughs> so I'm just gonna ask you a couple questions. Just take about 30 seconds more or less to answer them. Okay. Uh, are you ready to go? I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, let's get started. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Well, it's, it's the website we're using right now, Zoom. Mm. I, I have fallen in love with Zoom. Yeah. And all due respect to other formats, I love Zoom. It's easy. You can have a small or large group of people on screen. Um, it's trustworthy in terms mm. of, you know, I've never had a breakdown with Zoom. Yeah. So I'm, I'm loving it. And, and you know, technically, I, I'm not prehistoric, but, but I, I'm not all that adapt, adept. Yeah. And I found Zoom to really be a, a tool that, uh, you know, to use. Yeah. Here at Hoa, we use Zoom for any and everything. <laughs> yeah. um, on the flip side, are there any tech issues you're battling with? <laughs> well, like I said, I, I'm not quite prehistoric. So, you know, I, I go, well, it's now me, my, me, myself, and I. I, I have a solo practice and uh, mm. coaching and consulting and, and, and writing and speaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, so thank God I've got my son, my daughter, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, yeah. uh, all who are fairly sophisticated, one mm. of whom has a career in IT. So wow. I, I think, I, I, I think I annoy them sometimes with my questions. <laughs> But I'm getting answers that, that help me solve, you know, problems. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be able to figure out. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> What's coming in the next year that has you most excited? More of this. I'm loving the format of podcasts. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. They're so efficient. 
<laughs> when I think about reaching an audience like what you have, which is four or 5,000 uh, listeners, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, I would have packed my bags, having gotten a plane ticket, uh, you know, flown across the country, stayed overnight. The next morning, you know, I had a 30-minute, 45-minute presentation, mm-hmm. you know, take my bag, go back. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it would take 24 hours, maybe uh, more in order to have an engagement that could reach people. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is so efficient mm-hmm. and allows me to reach diverse audiences from around the country. I did a podcast last week from someone in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've been to Portland once in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here I am being able to engage with their largely regional following mm-hmm. and be able to talk about what matters to me. So that's what I want to do, if not the next six months, maybe the entire year, is focus on. The, uh, another thing I love about podcasts is I get to meet people like you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a person that loves people, mm-hmm. and I love getting to know people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's just, and, and the, the organizations that they represent, you know, oftentimes, they, like yourself, they represent an organization and the amazing things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's expanded my world and my appreciation for, you know, how amazing, how amazing people are and the, and the creative organizations that have sprung up, yeah. um, you know, more recently, or maybe been around for a long time. Mm. Yeah. A true testament to just how far technology has come. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Yes. Um, when I was a, uh, uh, I, a young man, I had a job at a publisher mm. and what my job was to put books in boxes and I'd be bent over eight hours going up and down these rows, putting books in boxes. I'm not kidding you. And, uh, but I was making a living. Well, yeah. I was, I was a hard worker mm. and eventually I was noticed and I was promoted to being a forklift operator. Mm. Well, I mean, talk about cool. Yeah. I went from being stooped over, throwing these books in, you know, to being a forklift operator. Well, I don't think it might have been the second day I was on the forklift driving around. And I took a corner too sharp. I literally ripped a ladder that was um, on the side of this wall off. Oh, my goodness. And, and guess what I got to do? I, I took responsibility. Right. I took responsibility and I went and, you know, told them what happened. I was not on the forklift that the rest of that day nor the <laughs> nor the next nor the next guess what i was doing I was books in boxes yeah so i did that to my you might say the best of my ability and uh mm. maybe maybe a month later they gave me another opportunity and i tried mm. not to screw up like i did the first time <laughs> and i learned a lot from that that number one as i've said taking responsibility is important Mm. And secondly, you know, people want to be generous towards us. Mm. If we're good people, if we're trying to do right, if we take our lessons and try and learn from them, people want to give us additional opportunities uh, in many, many, many cases. Mm. So yeah, books in boxes, I think I learned a lifelong lesson from that. (laughs) Definitely. Do you think nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I think so. Uh, certainly let's say you're cure specific, 
Mm -hmm. uh, that could be an opportunity. I, I was on the board of an AIDS organization a, a number of years ago in, you know, a very cool organization, but it arose out of the AIDS crisis back in the mm -hmm. day. And uh, as that got, you know, better controls and medicines and so on and so forth, and life expectancy was, re you know, uh, growing, you know, considerably, uh, they could have, you know, come close to closing. But what they did is they evolved. Mm -hmm. So still supply, supplying services to those who need it in the AIDS community, they began helping um, uh, uh, cancer patients who were poor. Mm. So providing transportation to uh, treatment and services, uh, delivering meals to their homes because they didn't have the strength, perhaps, while they're mm. undergoing treatments to go out. So there was a case where, yeah, the organization could have closed and we could have said, job well done. But a group of big-hearted people said, well, there's something else perhaps we could spend some time on to contribute to work together because the formula, you might say, uh, of our organization uh, has been helpful in the past and could be helpful to others. Yeah. Imagine you had a hot tub time machine going back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? I think I would be more deliberative mm -hmm. and uh, try and be more thoughtful. Sometimes yeah. I think I, I, I would get excited and I'd get in a hurry mm -hmm. and, and maybe miss some steps as a result. Mm -hmm. or um, hurt someone's feelings mm -hmm. because I didn't think about, well, you know, this could actually impact somebody other than me and my trying to do something. Yeah. So being more thoughtful, I think, would be... Uh, a hot tub, by the way, sounds pretty good right now, but uh, <laughs> I would try to be more deliberative. Yeah. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? I think it, it, more broadly, I would say trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, think, I think those of us who are ambitious, uh, we, we work with a dynamic organization, uh, we can get ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, call it, I call it mission drift. Before <laughs> you know it, we're beginning to drift yeah. beyond the scope of our mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful and true to our mission and, and maximize our talents and our resources and fulfill our mission. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean our, our mission can't grow and expand, but we should do that through careful planning, the kind of consultation with our boards and so on that are necessary before we undertake a new initiative. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we may end up sacrificing the very critical initiatives we're already committed to. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board? Tell me about yourself. Mm. That's another question. Would you, would you tell me about yourself? Tell me about what's important to you. Yeah. Why? What keeps you up at night? Mm. I've always liked asking uh, open-ended questions that allow people to, to reveal what's mm. on their minds. So sometimes they'll say, well, I'm having a bear of a day. Mm. Boom, 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 boom. Here's why. Mm. Or they might say, uh, I had a terrible night's sleep because of this, that, or the other thing going on in my life. By inviting people to talk about themselves, which could be, they could respond totally in terms of their business, but nevertheless, inviting them, I think it's a great sign of respect. Yeah. And I think good fundraisers ought to be curious and to want to get to know people. So the, the best fundraisers perceive the world as a series of relationships. Mm. It's all about 
um, respecting, uh, getting to know, coming to love people with whom we engage, who can also help us to achieve, you know, our, our purpose for engaging with them in the first place. What's a piece of advice your parents gave you that you did or did not follow? <laughs> well, uh, my mother used to say this to me all the time when, uh, when I was little. Um, I'd come to see, I'd come up to her impatiently about something. I wanted something, you know, and I wanted it now. <laughs> yeah. And she would say, you know, seriously, Martin, uh, pray for patience and perseverance. <laughs> well, guess how I would respond? I mean, impatiently. What are you saying that for? I want this, that, or the other thing. Martin, pray for patience and perseverance. Well, I've always been an ambitious kind of go-getter guy, maybe too much so. Mm. And what I found over the course of my life is, man, that was just spot-on advice for me because <laughs> so much happens over time, too much time for me. Mm. I want it quicker. I want, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always, I always want the next thing and I want it now. But that's not the way life operates usually. Mm. We have to wait. There's others involved. Uh, time, time unfolds to where it's timely. Yeah. Yeah. So patience and perseverance. Mm. <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah. Um, so our last question, and probably my favorite question, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact space? Well, you're probably entering the social impact space being technically very knowledgeable and adept. Mm. And so that's, that's a great strength. But I would say um, uh, if you're going to get a job anywhere, let alone in the social impact sector, be prepared and desire to work hard. Mm. So we don't separate ourselves necessarily because we're bright or we have one skill or another. We separate ourselves by our diligence, our hard work, our, being, our taking on responsibilities. So... Uh, how do you become more successful in one's career? It's by get, being given more responsibilities. Mm. And Carisha, you know this from your career, that that doesn't always feel so good. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing on my plate. How am I going to juggle that? But we grow and we adapt and we become greater in our careers through that kind of growth and responsibility. So hard work. Yeah, awesome. Uh, that ends our rapid fire round. Thank you so much, Martin. Where can people find you? Well, they can find me at martinlifel.com. And I'd love to hear from uh, uh, any and all of your audience. One thing, if I might, I want to mention that um, at that website, there's some resources. One is I've got over 125 videos on fundraising and leadership. Uh, those go from one minute to kind of full length presentations with PowerPoint slides live. But, you know, a variety of things. I've been this year, I'm doing a series of three-minute videos uh, called Focus on Fundraising that are getting mm -hmm. a really good response. The other thing is I also have available there a book called Five Minutes for Fundraising. Mm -hmm. What's great about this book is it develops some of the ideas we've been talking about. But I have 26 expert collaborators. Mm -hmm. So it's not just hearing Martin Liefeld or reading what Martin Liefeld has to say. It's 26 collaborators uh, Many, most, all of whom are experts in fundraising and leadership that just make the book a great book. You can get that at a 15% discount on my website. Mm. In fact, I'll autograph it. <laughs> no, no shipping or handling, no shipping or handling. Or you can download it at Amazon or buy the book at Amazon. 
five minutes for fundraising. Awesome. Thank you so much, Martin. My pleasure. Thank you, Carisha. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.